Hey there, Grimholics. It's your host, Kinsey. I'm back this week with another brand new episode of Missing Mondays. I want to apologize for my voice sounding a little funny. I once again have caught something from my daughter that she's brought home from school, and I swear it seems like it's never ending. And if you're a parent, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I considered taking off this week so that way you guys didn't have to listen to my voice like this, but I wanted to make sure that we were getting our episodes out to you very consistently. On this episode of Missing Mondays, I cover a girl named Tara Calico. Tara went missing roughly 33 years ago from New Mexico. And there is always this picture that tends to float around the true crime community. And it's a Polaroid of a teenage girl and a young boy who are duct taped at the mouth and they look to be laying on a bed of some sort with both of their hands tied behind their back. If you're big into true crime, like I'm sure you are because that's why you're here, then you have likely seen this Polaroid floating around the internet at some point. I have seen it multiple times, but I had no idea that this photo had ever been linked to Tara Calico. So once I figured out that the two of them were somehow connected, I wanted to actually take a look into information about the photo and the disappearance of Tara Calico. Tara Lee Calico was born on February 28, 1969 in New Mexico to her parents, David and Patty Calico. Tara grew up in a big family as she had five other siblings. Unfortunately, her parents felt it was best that they separate and divorce when Tara was little. Her mother did actually end up remarrying a man named John, and when Tara got a little older, she relocated to a different suburb of New Mexico called Bellin, with Patty, John, and the rest of her siblings. Everyone who knew Tara described her as a social butterfly, a girl who worked really hard and was very determined to have a successful life, and she was very athletic. Tara was always up for doing things outdoors. Some of her hobbies include hiking and going for bike rides. Tara had a lot of friends in high school and had very few enemies. While Tara was in high school, she ends up applying to the University of New Mexico, and she wanted to study in psychology. Tara's parents were over the moon when she got accepted, and while attending the University of New Mexico, Tara was able to maintain a 3.9 GPA during her freshman year. At the time of her disappearance, Tara was dating her high school sweetheart named Jack Cole. From what people had said, their relationship seemed healthy. They didn't really fight too much. They Two of them just really enjoyed each other's company. Jack and Tara both were extremely active. They loved being outdoors. They played tennis together. They went on hikes. The two of them seemed to get along really well. They had a ton in common. No one in their lives had anything negative to say about their relationship. On the morning of September 20th, 1988, Tara was just freshly into her second year at the University of Mexico and was living at home and not on campus. Every single day, Tara would go on a 36-mile bike ride with her mother on New Mexico State Road 47. They would often ride down to the train tracks on the road and back to their home. 
However, Patty decides that she no longer wants to go on this bike ride with Tara. She felt that there was people watching their every move and got really concerned for their safety. Patty did everything she could to try and convince Tara to no longer ride her bike on that route. But Tara being as active as she is, she tells Patty that she's not going to give up bike riding. So Patty asks her to at least carry Mace with her so that way she had some sort of way to protect her while she was riding. Tara tells her mom that she's fine, she can protect herself, there's no reason for her to be carrying Mace. On that morning of September 20th, Tara leaves her home around 9.30 a.m., which is her typical leave time, and she leaves the home without the mace. The one thing that was a little different about her bike ride is that Tara's bike had some type of damage to it that needed to be fixed. So Tara asks her mother if she could borrow her bike. So Tara rides her mom's neon pink Huffy mountain bike. Right before Tara sets out on her bike ride, she asks her mom, Patty, to come and get her if she doesn't make it home by noon because her and her boyfriend, Jack, had a tennis date at 1230 and she wanted to make sure she made it on time as her boyfriend, Jack, had to be at class that day by 330 in the afternoon. As the time gets closer to noon, Patty decides to go out and pick up Tara off the route so that way she was not late for their tennis date. From everything that I have read, it seems as though this route that they would take on New Mexico State Road 47, it's a pretty straight shot from their house to the end of the railroad tracks. So as Patty is out there, there's not really any sign of Tara and she starts to get a little more concerned the closer she gets to the tracks and she's still not seeing Tara. Patty arrives at the tracks and there's no Tara and she starts getting really concerned at this point because like I said it's a straight shot so she should have seen Tara at some point heading to the tracks. Patty turns around and heads back to their house hoping that maybe Tara somehow slipped by her and Tara had made it home by the time Patty had gotten down there to the tracks. When Patty arrives home, there's absolutely no sign of Tara. There's no bike, there's no Walkman, none of her headphones or any of her cassettes that she had taken with her. At this point, as any mother would, Patty is panicking. She thinks, what if Tara maybe got into some type of bike accident and maybe somebody called 911 and an ambulance came and picked her up. So Patty frantically calls all the local hospitals, but unfortunately, there's still no sign of Tara. Patty calls all of their friends and family and is begging for help for anybody to go out there and search for Tara. Their friends and family head out to Road 47, but again, there's no sign of Tara. At this point, Patty knows that it's best to go ahead and call police and file a missing persons report. In most missing persons cases, we often hear law enforcement tell whoever is making the police report that they have to wait 24 to 48 hours in order for police to start looking. However, this was not the case when it came to Tara's disappearance. The police were highly concerned and they went right out to State Road 47 to try and find any trace of Tara. At this point, police have a lot of people on foot combing the area to find hopefully any sliver of evidence they could that would locate Tara. Unfortunately, as nighttime falls, they still have not found anything and law enforcement feels it's best to call off the search for the evening and they'll go ahead and start in the morning. But overnight, a really heavy rainstorm came through the area and the police were worried that there was a lot of evidence that may have been washed away. The following morning comes around and police set out to look for the bike, 
her cassette tapes, her Walkman, maybe a piece of her clothing. And lo and behold, just a hundred yards off the highway on Route 47, they find Tara's broken Walkman smashed into pieces. Law enforcement was unsure if this was placed there by Tara in hopes that somebody would know that she was there or if whoever took Tara may have caused her to accidentally drop it and it to break. With law enforcement feeling that at this point it is foul play, they were asking the community to turn over any tips of a possible sighting of Tara while on Road 47. Several witnesses stepped forward and said that they had seen Tara riding northbound on the highway very close to her home, less than two miles around 1130. There were some witnesses who said that they had even seen a 1953 Ford pickup truck that was either a very dirty white or light gray color, and it had a white homemade shell on it, and they said that this truck was following very closely behind Tara. The witnesses said that they had seen Tara have the headphones in her ears, and she was completely unaware that this truck had been following her and had been following her so closely. Now that they have found this trace of Tara, they kick the search for her into high gear. 19 miles away from where Tara's Walkman was found, other pieces of her broken Walkman were found in a wooded park area, and near the other pieces of Walkman were three empty beer cans. Unfortunately, this would be the very last trace of Tara ever found. And very sadly, on September 27, 1988, the search for Tara closes, but the investigation continues forward. The police are really trying to focus in on who was the driver of this truck that was following Tara. Witnesses come forward and say that they saw two young Caucasian men in these trucks, but nobody was ever able to positively identify them. So with not having any type of positive identification, not having any type of license plate number, police are stuck at this point. They have no evidence to be able to move forward to find out who was driving that truck and following Tara. As time goes on and there is no more evidence recovered, no credible sightings of Tara, and no more witnesses stepping forward, her investigation basically goes stagnant and the police have not much to work with. That is until nine months later on June 15th, 1989. That Polaroid picture that I had mentioned in the beginning is found in Port St. Joe, Florida in a grocery store parking lot. An older woman had arrived at the grocery store there in St. Port Joe, and when she arrived at the grocery store, she had noticed a white Toyota cargo van that had no windows. She said that for some reason, this van had stuck out in her head. The woman goes into the grocery store. She does what she needs to do, and when she comes out of the grocery store, she finds that Polaroid picture laying face down on the cement. When she picks up the photo, she is absolutely blown away. And the photo is of a teenage girl and a young boy who looks like they might actually be inside of that white cargo van. Both the teenage girl and the young boy are both duct taped and bound by their hands. And they look absolutely scared to death in this photo. 
The older woman calls police immediately because this is not something usual for Port St. Joe. This is a very small community of about 10,000 people around the time of 1989, and it's kind of one of those towns where most people know everyone. When police retrieve the photo from this woman, they agree that it looks like they are likely in the back of the van that she saw. Police right away set up roadblocks, hoping that they are going to be able to locate this van. The woman describes the driver of the van to be a Caucasian male somewhere in his 30s. Even though the police jumped on this very quickly, unfortunately, they were never able to recover the van. Very shortly after the photo is handed over to the police, it ends up all over national news because this is a very scary photo. It just kind of sends chills down your spine. Not only was it on national news, but it was also broadcasted on a show called A Current Affair. When this picture ends up on national news, so many of Tara's friends call Patty and they tell her that they need to look at this photo. They need to call police because it is scary, the resemblance between the girl in this photo and Tara. When I myself had figured out the correlation between Tara and this girl in the photo, I looked very closely myself and I will agree that it is very scary how much they look alike. So much that even Patty thought for sure that it was her daughter, Tara. Another family steps forward claiming that the boy in the photo is their nine-year-old missing son, Michael Henley, who went missing in April of 1988, also from New Mexico. Both Tara and Michael's parents meet with the detectives, and Patty says when she left the police department, she was absolutely convinced that the girl in the photo was her daughter, Patty had pointed out that there was a scar on the girl's leg that was identical to an injury that Tara had gotten in a car accident. And she even mentioned that in the photo, there was a paperback book of V.C. Andrews' My Sweet Adriana, which was Tara's favorite author. I just can't imagine as a parent seeing a photo like that that looks exactly like my daughter she has a scar on her leg that's identical to my daughter and seeing a book written by my daughter's favorite author and not having any answers. Because there was so many similarities to Tara, the local law enforcement hands over the photo to several different agencies. The Scotland Yard analyzed the photo and had also concluded that the woman in the photo was Tara. A second analysis was done by the Los Alamos National Laboratory, but they said that they disagreed and that it was not Tara. And unfortunately, the FBI's analysis of the photo was inconclusive. So there was never any positive identification done to say whether this was Tara or not. Michael Henley's family stated that he went missing while turkey hunting with his dad in 1988, about 75-ish miles from where Tara was abducted. His mom and dad was absolutely convinced that it was their son in the Polaroid. However, law enforcement said it's very highly unlikely because his remains were eventually found in June 1990 in the Zuni Mountains, which was just about 7-ish miles from where Michael had vanished. Although Michael's remains were found and it is said that it likely was not him, 
the woman in the photo was never positively identified. So her parents were left with the gut feeling that it was their daughter. However, this would not be the only photograph to surface over the years. Two more photos had popped up and these were also Polaroid photos that had popped up around the country. And her family had to look at these photos to see if they could try to identify the woman as Tara. Her family explains that it was like a living nightmare having to see these horrible photos. The second photo found was a man and woman, both Caucasian. The female in the photo has brunette hair. She has the same face structure as Tara. They are sitting on a train seat. The girl is duct taped at the hands and there is a what seems to be like a possible napkin or a piece of cloth inside of her mouth. Police did say that they felt that this photo was a really bad prank. This third Polaroid that shows up is a woman who looks like she might possibly be bound at the hands and she is probably naked and has duct tape over her mouth and her eyes look to be extremely distressed. While Tara's mother did agree that she believed that the second Polaroid found of the man and woman on the train was likely a prank, she did believe that the person in the third photo was her daughter. And this would not be the end of these photos. In 2009, Port St. Joe Police Chief David Barnes ends up getting two envelopes postmarked from June and August 9th of 2009, and both of these had come from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Inside one of the letters contained a photograph that was just printed on a piece of copy paper, and it was a photograph of a young boy. Someone had used possibly a black Sharpie and drew what looked like a piece of black duct tape over the boy's mouth, that looked eerily similar to the photo that was found in Port St. Joe in 1989. The second letter contained the original image of the boy, but with no black duct tape drilled over his mouth. On August 12th, the Star newspaper, which is in Port St. Joe, had gotten a third letter from Albuquerque, and this is the same image of the boy with a black marker tape drawn over his mouth. None of the letters had any type of return address or a note that had handwriting on it or anything that would indicate who sent them or who the child's identity belonged to. The Port St. Joe Police Department actually believes that the photographs of this young boy have something to do with Tara's abduction, but unfortunately there's not enough evidence to say that it does in fact have something to do with her disappearance. So it remains a huge conspiracy and mystery at this point. The investigation into Tara's disappearance would yet again go cold until 2013. In November 2013, a police report was filed by a community member there in Bella, New Mexico. This police report detailed a deathbed confession of a witness who had identified three men, including an officer's son, as being involved in Tara's disappearance. This police report stated that Tara's bicycle had been thrown into the Bellin junkyard and Tara's body had been thrown into a pond by the young men who were driving this truck. According to the witness who gave this deathbed confession, he states that the young men who were driving this truck that followed Tara 
One of them was the son of an officer who actually was an officer there in Bellin. And he states that he went to the basement of the home of one of these boys. And he had actually seen Tara's body rolled up into a tarp. And they had told this witness that they were involved in Tara's disappearance. And what had happened was they were following behind her with their truck and they accidentally struck her. And they had no intentions of doing so. But they panicked and they grabbed Tara from the crash scene and took her out to a wooded area. The witness further states that the young men tell him that when they got Tara out to the wooded area that she was still alive and the men proceeded to rape her and stab her to death and leave her body. But once law enforcement starts looking for Tara, they got panicked and went back and got her body. They ended up burying her under a few slabs of concrete, according to this witness. It is further stated by this witness that this entire disappearance had been covered up by that officer whose son was involved and that they knew from the very beginning exactly what happened to Tara. Whether this is exactly true or not is unknown. And according to the Albuquerque Journal article, the son of the officer died at the age of 21 in 1991 as a result of a suicide playing Russian roulette. Although all of this information has been handed over to law enforcement, the investigation into Tara's disappearance has still gone cold and there has not been any headway made. It is unknown whether or not the girl in the photo found in the parking lot is Tara. It is unknown if the story told by the witness is true. Her family has been begging for answers for years, and unfortunately her parents had passed away before they got any type of answers given to them. As of 2019, the FBI has announced a $20,000 reward in any specific information about the location of Tara. Tara Calico was born on February 28, 1969 and went missing on September 20, 1988 from Bellin, New Mexico. Tara is a Caucasian female who stands at 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed approximately 115 to 120 pounds at the time of her disappearance. Tara has brown hair with hazel eyes. She has a scar on the back of her right shoulder and a dime-sized brown-colored birthmark on the back of her leg. Tara was last seen riding a neon pink Huffy mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls. At the time of her disappearance, she was wearing a white t-shirt that said First National Bank of Bellin, white shorts with green stripes, white ankle socks, and a white and turquoise Avia tennis shoes. Calico was also seen wearing a gold butterfly ring with a diamond insert, a gold amethyst ring, and half-inch gold hoop earrings. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Tara Calco, you are encouraged to call your local FBI office. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or join us on Instagram where I will have pictures of Tara posted. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.